I want to start off with a question to the women that just came from the retreat. Don't we want to hold on to that feeling till the end of time? Right? Now those of us who didn't go, we got, we got just kind of a, you know, a touch of it. And, and hopefully they're already signing people up for next year, right? Because <laughs> we want what they got. And what I'm going to talk about today is a way of maintaining that level of bliss. Not just when we're coming down off a glorious weekend. Not just when we're feeling the first bloom of love or, or that feeling of... Uh, um, just unity with all things that I know the women are experiencing right now. We can have something like that and keep it. And we're going to talk about that today. You know, we're using um, this lovely book called The Art of Power of Thich Nhat Hans. And last week, real briefly, we talked about the four fundamental tenets. They, they call them the four noble truths of Buddhism. And real quickly, it's that suffering exists, but... Suffering has its causes, and anything that has a cause, we can deal with, right? It's that happiness exists, and likewise, there is a path to happiness. And it, and it so struck me that, you know, this is the essence also of the science of mind teaching, that whether it be happiness or whether it be suffering, that these are our experiences in the world, and anything that is a, a, a worldly experience, we teach, has a mental cause, that there's something invisible, something mental in nature, behind whatever we're experiencing on the planet. And so this love that we're a witness to today, this, uh, this uh, coming down off of the women's retreat high, and hopefully we don't come down very far, right? <laughs> this has a mental cause. And we're going to talk about that today. Because what it really reinforces is the idea of happiness. And what is happiness? Um, I happen to find a joke that might help us with that. <laughs> All right. So there's an Englishman, a Frenchman, and a Russian. And they're discussing the meaning of true happiness. And I had practiced this trying to do accents, but, but, uh, <laughs> but my partner said they're never going to understand what you're talking about. So I'll just do it in my own voice. So the, English, the Englishman said, True happiness, my friends, is rising early on a frosty autumn morning, getting on top of a good horse and galloping off behind the hounds in pursuit of a fox. A, a ride over fields and fences in tune with nature until the fox is brought down. Then a triumphant ride back, you sit before a roaring fire with a glass of good port. Ah, that, that is true happiness. The Frenchman said, that's not true happiness. That's just the pleasures of animal sport. True happiness is meeting with the love of your life, having an intimate meal at a top-notch restaurant with champagne and hors d'oeuvres, then retiring to a wonderful place where you can make impassioned love all night long. That, that, my friend, is true happiness. The Russian said, that's not true happiness. That's merely having a good time. No, no, true True happiness comes when you're sitting in your apartment after a hard day at the factory, your little Ivan is bouncing on your knee, you're reading a copy of Pravda. Then, then there comes a knock at the door. Three big men in ill-fitting brown suits come storming in and they say, Stevan Ivanovich? You pause and you say, no, he lives upstairs. <laughs> now that, that, my friends is true happiness. <laughs> 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 
so what is this thing that we call happiness? You know, the joke really points out. The joke would seem to imply that it's situational, wouldn't it? That it's the circumstances around us, that it's individual. You know, what Sharon might find the true happiness might not necessarily be what I do, and, and yet it's, it's based on what's around us. I don't think that's true, and I want to talk about that a little bit, because I think all of us have this tendency to think that happiness is based on what's going on around us. Like, like when the circumstances are correct, then we'll be happy. Do you know what I mean? It's like, a, it's like a, you know, if, if I'm in my zone, then I can be happy. If the, if the kids are behaving, if the, if the husband or the wife is, is likewise feeling happy, if the work environment is pleasant, if... Uh, um, you know, the bills are paid and there's plenty of food in the refrigerator that if all these things line up just right, then I can be happy. I would suggest we take another look at that. In fact, the, the, the Buddhist ideal here would say there are four fundamental reasons why that is not happiness. And that, in fact, if we're depending upon the circumstances on the outside to trigger our happiness, that, in fact, we're due for a shock of something that isn't like happiness at all. So I want to talk about those, those four causes. The first one is impertinence. The first one is that idea that the surroundings around us are not permanent at all, impermanence. So if we're depending upon the situation to be right, the situation is going to change. Do you know what I mean? It's like we finally get things the way we want them, but for how long? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, ah, oh, the kids are having a great day, so I'm having a good day. The, you, you know, the bills are paid, so I'm having a great day. But what about tomorrow? The kids maybe aren't acting the way you'd like them to be. The, the job was kind of a rotten day. You know, all these things stacking up against you, the situation is going to change. So if you're depending on the situation, it's going to be quite a roller coaster ride. The second part of this is the cost and the stress of maintenance. Now let's talk about that for a minute. If we're depending upon things to be exactly the way we want them, and then we'll be happy, do you know how hard it is to keep things exactly the way we want them? Think about this for a minute. Whether it's relationships with the people we love, whether it's literally the house that we live in, whether it's, uh, in fact, let's take that. All of us, I think, like the idea that we would have a home that's comfortable. There's that, that old saying that a, a, a man's home or a person's home is their castle, right? And so you get to you know, pick out what colors it's painted. You get to organize it to, so that it's to your liking. You get to feel safe and secure into it. And those of us who are homeowners know there is a huge, huge part to owning a home. Keeping it the way we like, right? Every 15 years or so, you need a new roof. Every seven years, you need to have it repainted. Yeah, the constant cleaning and taking care of it, right? Keeping things exactly the way we want them there is a huge overhead and stress around that. And it's not only true for a home, it's true for the car that we like, it's for the relationships we're in. Now, some of you are like going, wait a minute, relationships? 
They require maintenance and cleaning, don't they? <laughs> if you think that you can, you know, use a can of final net on a relationship to, to keep it frozen in time, <laughs> it's like, I don't think so. I don't think so. So not only is it the impermanence, the changeability of things going on in the world, but it's the stress. It's the overhead, it's the cost, the kind of mental and emotional cost of trying to muscle it into stay the way you want it. Okay, third up, and here I think this will be very apparent in all of our lives, that I would call the non-cooperation of others. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? If, if we're depending on life, on the externals, the people and places around us, if we're depending on the people around us to make us happy. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, what a joke is that? Sure, there are days when everybody in our life is joyous and supportive and good-natured and, and loving, and then there are the other 360 days. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And if we are absolutely dependent upon our partner showing up exactly the way we want them, if we're absolutely dependent on our children behaving in a certain way or our grandchildren, if we're depending on the boss to be even-handed and, and good to us, if we're, uh, a lot of you are starting to laugh, yeah, of course. People are willful. It's their right. Each of us has the right to seek our own idea of what is true and good and happiness and things like that. And how, how, how many, many times we're in conflict with each other. What would make me happy is not what the other person wants to do. So if we depend on the cooperation of others to make us happy, we're going to spend a lot of time with anxiety and stress in our life. Okay, last but not least... And this one I'll illustrate with a story from my youth about my grandmother. So my grandmother, for some weird reason, just started, started collecting salt and pepper shakers. <laughs> now, I, I know, I know, it's like, 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 okay, where are you going with this? And she started out with maybe half a dozen pairs of salt and pepper shakers that I think she kind of inherited, you know, from, from her mom and her mom's mom and people like that. And then people got the idea, oh, she has a collection. And so then she, and then she got the idea, oh, I have a collection. And so she started buying salt and pepper shakers to kind of round out her collection. And this gave her a lot of joy, a lot of happiness. You know, she'd be in a junk store somewhere and, oh my God, look at this. These are so cute. Well, now this worked really well till she had about maybe 25 pairs of salt and pepper shakers. And then one day, someone that she knew brought her like this book and apparently she's not the only one that collects <laughs> salt and pepper shakers and it was a book like this thick that told of the thousands and thousands of salt and pepper shakers that you might collect and how much they're worth and where they come from and even some of the dealers and she started going through this book and she was like a driven animal <laughs> Here's this salt and pepper shaker that I could order from London. It's quite rare. It only costs $250. And that would really look fine in my collection. When we are dependent on the things outside of us to give us pleasure, there's an escalation factor. What made you happy today is kind of ground zero. So then it's the 
$400 salt and pepper shaker. And then it's the $800 salt and pepper shaker in, in the shape of the Tower of London, right? <laughs> do, you, do you know what I mean? And this is true in our own lives. I, I was comparing notes with someone in the first service, what our very first car was and how happy that made me. For me, it was a Honda uh, a, a Honda Civic hatchback. And this was back when I paid, out of my first few paychecks, I paid for the car in cash for $2,500, and I was so proud of that car, and it made me so happy. Do you think a car like that would make me happy today? Oh, no. I have sights on, a, on an, a brand new electric SUV, right? And do you think $2,500 is going to buy it? I think $2,500 will put a deposit down on it. <laughs> when we put our stock in the things external to us for our happiness, when we think that it is the trinkets or the trips or the, or the books or the possessions, things will escalate. The things that we have right now that made us happy last week, maybe not so much. So these are the four fallacies of placing our happiness in the hands of the stuff and the things and the people that are external to us. They're not permanent. There's a stress and a cost to maintain them. There is the annoying non-cooperation of others factor. <laughs> and there is that escalation thing. What made me happy today is not likely to make me happy tomorrow. So where I'm leading is, happiness then, true happiness is what? It's an inside job. Thank you, Sandra. And how do we accomplish an inside job from the inside. Yeah, you don't, right, we don't need to go there. But I want to throw this out. So is happiness then just a feeling? Uh, and I'm hearing some options here. It, it is both a feeling, I think, and a state of mind, and a choice. Now here's something we're not used to talking about. Having a, a feeling or a state of mind or a present a, a presence as a choice. And yet, I want to suggest to you that it's probably just something that we're unfamiliar with for the most part. But let me throw out a couple examples. Remember when you were five years old and it's uh, like three weeks to Christmas and you first have that awareness of, you know, I've seen mom and dad put some packages <laughs> on that tall shelf in the hall closet and I just realized Christmas is in three weeks, and I know what those things are. They're for me. And for the next three weeks, even though I don't have those presents, even though Christmas isn't here yet, what? I'm totally happy. I'm totally anticipating. I'm totally in that place of joy for no reason do you know what I mean? I have simply brought it up in myself in anticipation of what I'm going to have. I don't know what those presents are. They could be for Aunt Thelma, and I'm totally out of luck. Do you know what I mean? I am simply bringing up the anticipation of my good in my mind, and it is giving me a lot of joy. Let me throw out another example. All of us who've worked in any kind of a company where, where maybe there's a boss has probably been faced with that situation of you get an email or you get a voicemail or, or, or maybe an administrative assistant comes in and says, 
oh my God, the boss is really, you know, on a tear today and he wants to talk to you in 20 minutes. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> <laughs> and what do you do for the next 20 minutes? Haven't th aren't those the most uncomfortable 20 minutes of your life? Sometimes that 20 minutes is worse than the actual meeting with the boss. And you are completely doing it to yourself. You don't know what's going to happen. Maybe he's going to give you a bonus and the, and the administrative assistant just is implying something from the mood that the boss was in. You have no idea. And yet, welling up in you, you are accepting feelings of anxiety, of, of fear, of, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? Your head's circling around the what ifs. What if I'm laid off today? What if they're, do you know what I mean? And yet it is all in your head. Now, I want to suggest if when we're seven, if we can well up with joy on the offhand chance that their presence involved three weeks from now, if when we're 43 or 33 or 23 and the boss calls us into office and we can well up us in us feelings of fear and dread, if we can put on those feelings just like I put on this jacket this morning, we can do it with happiness. Now we may not be used to this, as with any practice, I, I, well first of all, let me say, I would think we can approach this as a spiritual practice, just as we might um, get good at meditating, just as we might have some familiarity with doing affirmative prayer, just as we learn how to do affirmations and practice that as a spiritual practice, we can also do this with happiness. And I want to give you uh, some suggestions on a place to start. In the Thich Nhat Hanh book, he talks about this practice called mindful walking. And it's a very simple practice, and it's going to be part of your homework, so make sure you're, you're listening or taking notes here, because we're going to discuss it in terms of a homework. But he says, simply pick um, like a tree, maybe a hundred yards away from you. So you're out in nature, or even just out in your yard, you pick a tree a little ways off, and you say, I'm going to walk from here to that tree, and I am going to do it in complete happiness. So you're setting your intention, and you are simply going to follow step by step. Bring your complete awareness to the steps that you're taking, to the sensation of maybe your skin on your pant legs if there's a a breeze, you're going to sense that breeze flowing through your hair. If it's a sunny day, the, the warmth of the sun perhaps on the top of your head. If it's a rainy day, maybe the pitter-patter of little drops on your, your rain hat or your rain gear. And you are going to simply take step after step, and you are going to cause within you, from your heart, a welling up of happiness. Now, I'm sure there are those of you who are saying, well, Larry, I can't just turn it on and off, you know? I wish I had a uh, Oh, interesting feedback there. I wish I had a switch that was, that was like right here. Do you know what I mean? It's like uh, one way is neutral, another way is like despair, and then, and then luckily there's the flip, the happiness setting, and I can't just flip it. Maybe not at first. But in the same way that the first time you went to your piano lesson, the first driving lesson that you took, the first few steps you took as a child, 
even though those were halting, even though those may not have been successful on that first day, right? Almost all of us do know how to drive. Almost all of us can balance a checkbook. Almost all of us know how to fill out our income taxes. Almost all of us know how to do those things that the first time we tried them were very difficult. The same is true for this. This first go-around, you might feel a little foolish. You might feel like, mm, um, um, happiness. Okay, you know, how do I feel when, when I... And this is okay, because this is your first lesson. This is your first go at it. But what I know, without question, if you persist a bit, you will begin to have that sense of an indwelling happiness. Just give it a few chances. Um, set forward a few mornings. The object here is not really that you're walking. In fact, Thich Nhat Hanh says, the walk is the distraction. The actual walking, right, is so that your body and your uh, um, kind of the, um, the upfront mental processes have something to concentrate on while your heart is doing the work of bringing joy, of bringing peace, of bringing love into your world. So just very straightforward, very mindfully. You're noticing the grass. You're noticing the pine needles. You're noticing the feel of the air. And in your heart, bliss is welling up. Now, if you need a cheat, there's, I'll tell you a little cheat here. Because if at first this is feeling weird, I'm doing it wrong, I'm not feeling happy, I'm just feeling like I'm walking, try, if you will, prime the pump maybe with a memory of a time when you were very happy. And just allow that maybe to prime your pump. Pretty soon you won't even need that memory. Pretty soon you will literally be able to say, yes, I am happy. Walking along this walk is bringing me great happiness. And pretty soon then you won't need the walk. Pretty soon, no matter what's going on in the outside of your world, on the inside of your world, you can say, I'm happy today. I'm going to meet with the accountant. I'm happy today. I'm going to meet with my family. I'm happy today. I'm doing housework. I'm happy today. <laughs> Pretty soon, you will have that switch. And you can, whenever you like, choose mindfully to be happy. I want to end today with a, a kind of a special case and talk about love. You know, there's a whole chapter in the book about love. And what's interesting is I think we think that love perhaps is a cause or a factor into happiness. And you might even think about it that way. Okay, so, so happiness is um, maybe an umbrella kind of idea. And underneath it are things like love and peace and joy. So, so when I'm feeling love and peace and joy, you know, that's kind of a component in happiness. And Thich Nhat Hanh says, you know, this isn't a bad way of looking at it. And there's a great warning here too. Because most people look at love like an outside acquisition. Do you know what I mean? I'm looking for a new girlfriend like you were shopping at Fred Meyer? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I'm wanting a, um, a special someone to really help complete me. I'm wanting someone that I can hold close so that I can be happy in a relationship. 
Thich Nhat Hanh would say these kind of statements are very dangerous because what you're doing is instead of maybe shopping for a new car that will bring your happiness, you're looking towards someone else to bring you happiness. And he will say those same four problems are going to stand in the way. First of all, impermanence. Not impertinence. It might feel like impertinence. <laughs> but imper impermanence, right? So what happens when that person isn't there? So then I'm miserable? What about the idea of the stress and cost of maintenance? And, and I want you to think about this. If you think a relationship requires no maintenance, it's like, oh boy. <laughs> One of the biggest investments we make in our lives is the care and the love and the maintenance that's required in a relationship. And then there's the non-cooperation of others. <laughs> right at the heart of love, isn't it? Because if we see love in one particular way, one kind of painting, this is what love looks like. This is what the behaviors are. Here's how we spend time together, right? My idea of happiness might be going on a lovely walk on the beach with my partner. What if my partner really enjoys doing auto mechanics? <laughs> right? We all have our own sense of what we like to do, how we like to show up, what we want to be. And if we're depending on our partners to show up in a certain way, I got to tell you, happiness is not a given as part of a relationship. I don't even think it's the point of a relationship. The happiness starts in here. In the same way that the peace does, in the same way that um, anything starts in here, so does love. And so I'll close with a, a final quote here from Thich Nhat Hanh about this idea of love, too, as a bringer of happiness. He says, at first, people are infatuated with an image they see as beautiful. They want to possess this image, and, of course, they suffer for this. But after they wake up and see that beauty is a deception in people, they push away this image to look for another object of an infatuation. So here's this whole idea of uh, you know, people having multiple partners, I think, of, of being married five or six times or going through a string of girlfriends or boyfriends. We get to know someone. We're thinking that that person will show up in a way that makes us happy. It works for a while. We're, we're infatuated, right? We're in love. And then we find out, oh, his idea of happiness is, you know, watching TV, and that's not mine. And we're really not suited for each other, so I will what? I'll find someone else to make me happy. He says, they may wander their whole lives, from lifetime to lifetime, unable to find the real object of their love. But if we can find someone who has a steady faith in their own goodness in their own internal beauty and truth, we can look at this person as a reflection of ourselves. Now think about this for a minute. If we're saying that happiness starts here, then really love, the love that endures, is two people simply being happy sharing that happiness with great authenticity, right? 
It's not expectations of you're going to show up a certain way or I will love you if you will do this for me. It's here I am. I'm confident. I'm beautiful. I'm in love with myself. And then the universe will mirror that, bringing you other examples of it. And this is the true love. This is, this is the love that is not changeable because your own internal idea of you doesn't have to change. The internal idea of your friend or your partner or, or, um, or your husband or your wife, their internal idea of their love and their beauty doesn't have to change. This is something then that can last a lifetime. This is the kind of love that is not situationally based. So even as we find happiness from within, we have to start with love there as well. And the caution always is, whether it be love, whether it be peace, whether it be happiness, whether it be joy, if we're counting on it based on someone else doing something else, if we're counting on it based on the circumstances being right, whatever, whatever right means to us, then we miss the point. We miss the boat. We might have the happiness for an ever so short period of time, and then we will experience something different. So what I'm knowing on this day, and I'll close with a prayer, what I'm knowing on this day is that each person here finds happiness because it's already here. Let us pray. There is one power and one presence in this universe. It is that thing that I call life. And what I know about life is that it is the essence of happiness, that the happiness of every person, every being on this planet is within it is that ability to bring up within ourselves those feelings, that state of mind, that, that ability to simply be happy. And I know this means me. I know that with each passing day, it becomes ever easier for me to practice this walk of happiness. It becomes ever easier for me to, to know that my goal is happiness and that it's simply set for the day and for the next day, and for the next day. And that within each day, I simply find outrageous examples of that happiness in my own life. One step at a time, one smile at a time, one attitude, one feeling at a time, happiness is mine. And as it is true for me, of course it is true for each blessed person in this room. Each of us, each of us has the capability of indwelling and permanent happiness. And it is my great pleasure to acknowledge this in each person here today, that capability and that willingness to be happy. And so it is with great love and great gratitude that I acknowledge the, the power of our own minds to bring about happiness. I, I acknowledge and am grateful for spirit, for God showing up as each person here. I simply let it be, and so it is. So thank you very much for being here today. Thank you. Thank you.